You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Tuesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of the discussion by sending in the questions, comments, takes, concerns, whatever you have, and I respond to them here on the podcast. The best way that you can send in a Herd Mentality item is via email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com, or you could send me a DM on Twitter. My handle is at the Joe Marino. Now, like I said on yesterday's podcast, during the season, this will become a staple of our Tuesday. And in order for me to get the podcast done in a timely manner, I need all of the submissions by 1 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays. And so as you are thinking about things to ask, as you're considering the game that we're going to watch on Sunday and all the narratives are going to come out of it, if you have a question for me, please, please, please send it in on Monday morning before 1 o'clock so that way I can include it in the Tuesday podcast. All right, so let's get started. we got a lot of great stuff to get to today. First one comes from Brian. Brian says, with a roster now set and the season ready to begin, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the impact of potential injuries. We all hate to see guys go down, and truth be told, some injuries can be more consequential for the team than others. Would you be willing to rank the top five players whose injury you think would have the biggest negative impact on team success. I think it could provide some interesting insight into what players you consider irreplaceable or what positions we lack the depth to handle a starter going down. Really good question here, and I rank the top five, and I feel really good about my top four, but the fifth one I'm a little uneasy about, so let's work through this. The first one, the one player that would have the most negative impact to the team if they were to get injured is Josh Allen. He's an elite player at the most important position in the game. And while I have a lot of respect for Mitch Trubisky as the backup, and I'm happy that he's the backup, you're talking about a significant drop-off. You go from having a top three quarterback in the NFL to probably a top 30 quarterback in the NFL. And within that drop-off from tier one to top 30, there's a lot of tiers in there. There's a lot. There's a lot of tiers in the top 10 or 12, especially when you kick it out to 30. So I'm glad Trubisky's here, but there's there's nothing like having Josh at quarterback. Number two, I have Tredavious White. And obviously Trey White's an elite cornerback in the NFL. But when you think about losing him and then having Levi Wallace as your number one corner and Dane Jackson as the other outside corner, that leaves a lot to be desired. At number three, I have Deion Dawkins. Really outstanding left tackle for the Bills. And I'm high on Spencer Brown. But year one, I'd really like to see him not play. <laughs> you know, If we see him on the field, I hope it's as a big tight end or something like that, not having to fill in for Dawkins or Williams. Number four, this one might surprise you. I have Micah Hyde, Bills starting safety. I think he's so important for what the Bills want to accomplish on the back end with their coverage spacing and how they disguise coverages and how they layer different coverages, and how they bracket certain route combinations. 
I think he's absolutely critical. Now you're talking about bringing in Jaquan Johnson or DeMar Hamlin. I think that's a big drop-off. So Micah Hyde, number four. And then this is the spot that I thought was difficult because I have Stefan Diggs, number five. And Stefan Diggs is one of the three best players on the team. Top three receiver in the NFL. Big-time playmaker. But the Bills are so deep with pass catchers, it's not one that gives me that much cause for concern. Obviously, the team's going to be way better when Diggs is on the field, and he matters a ton. But if he were to be out for some period of time and you have Gabe Davis and Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders and Jake Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie still at your disposal, you feel pretty good about that, right, with Josh Allen as your quarterback. I mean, we saw that offense move in the Green Bay game in the preseason without Diggs. And so I recognize how good Diggs is and how much he matters and how much better he makes the offense, but I couldn't put him any higher than five. I honestly think I'd be more concerned if Micah Hyde went down than I would be if it were Steph Diggs. And so I hope you understand where I'm coming from with that. It's not that I don't like Diggs or I don't think he's valuable or important. The Bills are just so deep in terms of pass catchers at wide receiver, and there's other spots on the team like safety, like corner, like offensive tackle, where the drop-off is very considerable. So that's why I stacked it like I did. The next one today comes from Dylan. Dylan says, I was listening to an NFL podcast after Locked On Bills, of course, and I have to say these guys are making me mad. They're saying that the Bills will lose to the Steelers in week one and regress so much this season that they don't win the division. Their only reasoning behind this, the Bills are too distracted with vaccinations and Cole Beasley. I personally feel as a fan and someone that trusts Sean McDermott that this isn't possible. I feel the Bills are mentally tough and level-headed because of him in the process. They let Cole Beasley talk about the vaccine at that press conference. Outside of the close contact stuff a week or so ago, we haven't had any COVID problems. My question is, are they as dumb as I think they are? Or do they have a point, and should I be concerned that this is something that could derail our season? So let's go ahead and acknowledge right off the bat that COVID matters this year, right? It's a part of the NFL dynamics. And being able to manage it and contain it and not let it affect your locker room will matter. It's going to be a part of this 2021 season. You never know when you're going to load up Twitter and find a tweet from Adam Schefter or Ian Rapoport that says player X is out this week because they tested positive for COVID. We've literally seen it happen over the last couple of days. The Dallas Cowboys found out on Sunday that they're not going to have Zach Martin for their season opener on Thursday against the Buccaneers. The Dolphins, Austin Jackson, their left tackle, Adam Shaheen, a tight end. They're going to possibly be out this week because of COVID. You never know when it's going to be your turn. And so, yes, it is a dynamic of this season. Now, the idea that the Bills are going to regress this season because of distractions regarding Cole Beasley and the vaccine, I think that's pretty shallow analysis. That's what I see so often in NFL analysis, whether it's written on social media, it's podcasting, video, whatever it is, you see people want to jump on trendy and popular narratives. And so because people don't have the entire story and they just gawk at Cole Beasley being loud on social media regarding his opinions on the vaccine and more specifically the way the NFLPA has set up protocols for unvaccinated players, that somehow this is going to derail the Bills season. We've talked about that on this podcast. I've given you very spirited and honest 
dialogue on my thoughts on this and how Twitter isn't real life and that NFL locker rooms are brotherhoods and they're accepting of different viewpoints and these guys love each other. Like This isn't going to be any more of a distraction for the Bills than it is any other team. So you never know when it might be your team's turn to deal with COVID, but that analysis is extremely shallow. Now let's take a moment here to remind everyone of what the implications are for positive COVID tests with vaccinated versus unvaccinated players. Unvaccinated players who test positive, they're out for 10 days. 10 days. If you're unvaccinated and you test positive, you're out for 10 days. And that could mean multiple games. So we know that there are some players on the Bills team that are not vaccinated. If they test positive, 10 days. Vaccinated players can return if they are symptom-free and have two negative tests 24 hours apart. Unvaccinated players who are close contacts, they're out for five days. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to miss time, but you are subject to daily testing. And so there you have it. You better hope that COVID stays away from your football team and especially away from your unvaccinated players. Next one today comes from Jeff. Jeff says, I enjoyed your prediction show on Monday, and I like your outlook for the 2021 Bills, although I am hopeful we can at least win one of the games against the Chiefs and Bucks. My question relates to a comment you made regarding the Browns and specifically how you thought their defensive line was one of the reasons they would fall short of making the AFC Championship game. This surprised me, as I thought with Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, They should trouble most teams, including the all-new Chiefs offensive line. So what is it that concerns you about the Browns' defensive line? Is it depth or the interior? Or do you have your doubts over Clowney's ability to be productive? Also, a quick follow-up. I was looking at the Steelers' injury news earlier today and saw that both T.J. Watt and Stephon Tewitt are both injury concerns for Sunday, although I'm not sure how up-to-date that information is. I'm sure you will get to all of this in your game preview show tomorrow, but is that your understanding of their injury status? If so, that would be a big blow for the Steelers and good news for Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams. So let's start with the Browns defensive line and what my concerns are about it. So you mentioned it. I'm not high on Jadavion Clowney. I don't think he's been reliable for a number of years now, and he continues to age, and he continues to add more injuries to the list. And if he's healthy, I think he's a reasonable player. But I don't think he can command a large percentage of the snaps, and I don't think you can rely on him to stay healthy all season long. And so when you have that type of viewpoint of Jadavion Clowney, it affects the way you think of this football team. And I think last year when they had injuries to Olivier Vernon, they struggled. And the backup to Garrett and Clowney is Tack McKinley and Joe Jackson. Neither of those two players have been effective in the NFL. On the interior, you have Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings, who I think are reasonable players. They're not outstanding. And the backups behind them are unproven. You have Tommy Togiai, a rookie, fourth-round pick. Jordan Elliott, a third-round pick from last year, who I'm not super high on. And then Malik McDowell, who was a second-round pick back in 2017 and hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet. So I just think there's question marks all over that defensive line, and I'm not sure what they have for sure beyond Miles Garrett and maybe Andrew Billings as a reasonable one-tech. So I think there are a lot of questions to be had about this 
Browns defensive line. Now, you mentioned some of the dynamics with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Stephon Tuitt and TJ Watt. Stephon Tuitt will not play. He is out for the game. Uh, as far as TJ Watt, I'm not really buying that he's going to miss the game. Uh, there's some disputes over his contract and getting an extension and some concern because he hasn't taken part in contact drills and teamwork yet to this point. Um, I'm guessing he'll be fine. I, I, I just could not imagine him not playing, but we'll stay tuned to that talking point and, uh, and address it as the week elongates and we learn more information. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including Online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. And be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo where you can make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The next one today comes from John, who says, Something has been bugging me. Do you think Bean is nervous about letting players go to other teams, especially Davis Webb and Jake Fromm? Because those guys know the playbook and might spill the beans, no pun intended. Really, though, aren't teams worried about all their secrets being exposed after training camp, especially if a quarterback who knows the playbook gets picked up? I always wondered how that worked. I think a lot of the positive comments this offseason about the players was a ploy to build their reputation for future trades. I mean, look at Bam Johnson. Isn't he a perfect example? The entire organization is in on it, too. Bean, Sean, Frazier. They all get together and talk people up and then trade them for more than they might be otherwise worth. Compare Bam Johnson to Shaq Lawson. Both were traded for six-round picks. We won that deal for sure. Do you think all the talk then got the beat reporters talking and then got Twitter talking and then Bam Johnson was all of a sudden worth more? All right, so a couple of good questions here. Um, the first one is about letting players go and having concern that they can tell other teams some of your strategy and ideas in the playbook and that type of stuff. And I think it's a reasonable thing to consider. I mean, you see it happen, right? Like teams will claim players that were recently released by an upcoming opponent. And what happens from there? I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know if it's a situation where, you know, they're sitting down in a room with the GM and the head coach and the coordinators. And they're like, tell us everything, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how it goes. Um, there has to be some advantage, and I don't want to overlook that, but teams are certainly aware of this. I mean, you're aware that when players leave, there's an opportunity for them to go to another team and to share information about your team. So there's definitely an awareness that exists. I wonder how much actual strategy is talked about in preseason and training camp. I think all the game plan specific stuff is really reserved for game weeks. So it's hard for me to really believe that 
there's a whole lot to be gained from these players that you recently signed. I mean, the Bills cut Jake Fromm and Davis Webb. They cut them. If the Steelers wanted to sign them, they could. And they can get all the information that they could possibly want, it would seem. But the Steelers didn't do that. If it was that much of an advantage, surely the Steelers would have signed Jake Fromm or Davis Webb. But they didn't. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that I don't have the actual answer. But as I talk through it and I speculate, there's definitely something to be said for it. But I don't think it's... Uh, you know, a kiss of death or something like that. If if one of your guys gets plucked by an upcoming opponent, and what you should be concerned about them disclosing to that team. The other part of your question was about you know Bam Johnson and the organization uniting by saying positive things about him through the media and hoping that it stirred up some trade interest and the Bills got more in return than they should have. I'd say that there is something to it, right? I'm sure that there was some intent behind speaking glowingly about him and drumming up some interest and finding a trade partner. But I also think that a six-round pick is pretty reasonable in terms of trade compensation to get Bam Johnson, who brings value on every phase of special teams and has some value as a pass rusher and has nice athleticism and size. You know, it's he's not a scrub, right? He's not like a player that shouldn't be on a roster. And so if you want him, you want to make sure you get him, part with the pick that it takes to get him. So I don't think it was like a robbery or anything like that. I don't think the Bills ripped off the Panthers, but I do think that there was some intent about the way everyone collectively spoke about him through the media. The next one comes from Lucas, who says, you have talked a lot about the hits in the draft that Bean and McDermott have had, as well as the let's see guys like Edmonds, Knox, Oliver, Phillips, and Ford all of which I think can and will contribute more this year. You also brought up Wyatt Teller in previous episodes and how we missed on seeing the untapped potential there. All of this to say, what about Logan Thomas? He wasn't one of our draft picks, but we had him in Buffalo for two seasons, 2017 and 2018, and look at what he did this last year in Washington and how much he is projected to do again this year. Last year, he was second among tight ends in running routes of his team's dropbacks at over 82% with 72 catches for 670 yards and six touchdowns. Do you think we didn't give him a chance, or did Thomas all of a sudden figure it out after he left Buffalo or something else entirely? I'd love to know your thoughts. It's a good question, Lucas, and I think it's pretty fair to be reminded that there are some players that got away. You know, Wyatt Teller is one of them. I know that's with the benefit of hindsight. At the time, we all expected the Bills to cut him. And surely the Bills wouldn't have cut him if they thought he would become an all-pro guard. But that's what happened. And Wyatt Teller went to Cleveland. He's surrounded by great offensive linemen. He's got the best offensive line coach in the game. And he's realized his ceiling. Logan Thomas, you know, he's interesting because he went to Detroit. And he wasn't that good for Detroit. Like, he was not a major player for them. It was a lot like what he did for the Bills in previous seasons. And then he goes to Washington and he has this big breakout season and he's been paid handsomely, and now he's a big part of what that Washington team has done. And so I don't think it was a total miscalculation by the Bills or a failure by the Bills. I think it just, that's when it clicked for him. And I think that's sometimes the explanation. Who knows, does does Logan Thomas ever become the player he is today if he doesn't go through all the steps in his career to get to that point? 
Does Wyatt Teller turn into the same caliber of offensive guard in Buffalo if he never got traded to Cleveland? Sometimes those moves and things that happen, they're turning points. And, you know, something clicks and the light bulb comes on. And so I don't think it's fair to assume that Wyatt Teller or Logan Thomas would be the players they are if they didn't go through what they've gone through. Now, certainly the talent's always there, and you wish that you would have recognized that and invested appropriately and got them to the point where they could be the players they are now. But sometimes that's a little bit out of your control. And so definitely a great question there. I do think that there is something to be said about those players getting away, but there's so many different layers and you know things that go into human behavior and what makes people realize their potential and perform at their highest level that is sometimes out of your control. So really good talking point. I'm not sure how much I want to criticize the Bills for this, though. The next one comes from Big Worm, who says, based on your profession of analyzing college football, would you leave what you do now if an NFL team offered you a head scout position? No, I would not do that. I would not take a job in the NFL. Um, I don't really have much interest in working in the league. So much inconsistency, so much travel, so much bouncing around, and um, I really love what I do. I love producing football content. Obviously, I love watching football and studying the game, but I like my lane, and I like what it means for my family to not have to be running around all the time and being able to work at home and be with my wife and be with my daughter, be able to pet my dogs whenever I want to, and I'm really satisfied with my earnings, so I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to take a job with uh, you know, the Detroit Lions and be there for three years and the general manager gets fired and all of a sudden I'm looking for a job. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to do what I'm doing. I'm having so much fun and I get to talk about the Bills every day and college football, NFL, NFL draft on draft dudes, write about football players, produce video content, do live streams. You kidding me? I'm not going to give that up so that I can travel around the uh, the West Coast in search of football players, spending half my life in a car and staying up till one in the morning to turn in scouting reports that at the end of the day are probably not even going to be valued because the only thing that really matters a lot of times is what the GM and coaches think. You know, I'm just not, I'm not about it. I like what I'm doing. I've had opportunities. I've had different people say that they would help me out if I wanted to get into the league and I keep telling them I'm happy with what I'm doing. So uh, this has become a very real thing for me. And um, I like what I'm doing now. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. Save time and save money when using rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. 
You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. There's no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, we still got a bunch more good stuff to get to here today on the podcast. Next one comes from Sean. Sean says, I was listening to the Athletic Podcast with Joe B. and Matt Fairburn. They brought up the fact that the opposing defensive coordinators will have the blueprint that the Chiefs used to severely limit the Bills' offense in the AFC Championship game. Can you expand on that? What did the Chiefs do from a schematic standpoint that caused the Bills so much trouble? Quite frankly, I haven't gone back and watched that game again. It's too painful for me. The biggest thing I remember is the pressure up the middle on Josh all game and defensive backs mugging the wide receivers and not getting called for penalties. Can you also talk about what the Bills' offense can do to attack the scheme that the Chiefs used? All right, so good question here. Um, I also have not went back and watched the game. The only time I watched the game is when it happened live, and so I don't necessarily have a lot of nuanced thoughts to give you regarding those specifics. Now, I did go back and look at my notes from the game and for the podcast that we did after the game, and I wrote down the following things. Number one, that Josh Allen was trying to do too much. He wasn't willing to take profits and force the ball down the field into coverage. I put that the Kansas City corners were extremely sticky and aggressive with their coverage. And, um, of course, we can all agree that they were interfering and holding quite a lot. And so that was definitely a big part of the game. I wrote down that Devin Singletary's drop was a killer and sacks, four sacks for minus 53 yards. And then I wrote down that the Bills need offensive players that demand manufactured touches and more speed with the ball in their hands. So that was the stuff that I wrote down. But, again, I don't necessarily have specific things to offer you. But as far as that line of thinking goes where defensive coordinators have had the Kansas City tape all offseason long to give them a blueprint to limit the Bills' offense, I have some thoughts on that. Number one, well, everyone has the blueprint on the Chiefs' offense because of what Tampa Bay did to them in the Super Bowl. Why are we not talking about that? Why are we not concerned that the Buccaneers figured out the Chiefs and now the NFL has a blueprint to slow down the Chiefs' offense? Number two, Brian Dable knows that. Sean McDermott knows that. Everybody knows that the Chiefs were effective against the Bills. And they're going to develop ways to counter that. Just like coming out of the 2019 season, the book on Josh Allen was play man coverage and uh, blitz him, right? Blitz him, zero blitz, man coverage, pressure up the middle, he can't beat it. Well, then he did. And teams had to figure out other ways to play him. So I don't really buy into this as something that I'm going to spend any time being concerned about. I trust that the Bills coaching staff will evolve the scheme, and I want to know why nobody's concerned about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers putting out a blueprint to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and slow down their offense. That's that's football. That's the NFL. There's evolution, right? You got to adapt, and the Bills have done nothing but prove they can adapt. Next one comes from Tyler, who says, I've been sitting on this one since the Bam Johnson move. Taiwan Jones is a special teams ace. 
earning praise from the coaching staff for his prowess on teams similar to Bam Johnson. That said, unlike Bam, Jones does not receive snaps outside of special teams, is an older player whose ceiling is clearly defined and isn't on a cost-controlled rookie deal like Bam. On to the question, how do you justify dealing Bam but keeping Jones? What if you viewed Bam as a special teams ace? How can't you justify that seventh defensive end spot? Pass rushers are like pitching in baseball. You can't have too many. Looking at Jones versus Bam, I think we made a mistake. Tyler, I think you have good points. I respect where you're coming from on this. I think the uh, the rookie deal for two more seasons with Johnson is something that we should be keeping in mind. Um, I will say this. I don't think anyone's going to trade for Taiwan Jones. So you do lose that additional draft capital that you gained with parting with Bam Johnson. But I would also like to point out what Taiwan Jones does on special teams compared to Bam Johnson. And you guys know I love Bam, Bam Johnson on special teams, but he's not a gunner. He's not a gunner. He's not a gunner to the level that Taiwan Jones is on the punt team. I mean, Taiwan Jones is literally an elite gunner, and that is such a difficult role to fill. You can find guys to run down the field on punt and kick and block on the kick return like Bam Johnson did. But as far as being a gunner, that's a different skill set, and Taiwan Jones does that at a very, very high level. So there is a differentiation that we have to distinguish between what they do on special teams, and so I think you have to factor that into the equation. So do you have good points? Yes, but I'm not going to sit here and really completely buy into this being a mistake. Next one today comes from Mac, who says, what is the difference between an H-back and a tight end, and where do you think Reggie Gilliam lands between the two? It's a good question. A tight end plays on the line of scrimmage, and an H-back is not on the line of scrimmage. They are set back from the line. And um, it's uh, kind of like a wing, if you will. So if you'll imagine where the tight end or the offensive tackle plays, and then you'll imagine a player being kind of like right behind them, that's an H-back. And so they're not a line of scrimmage player. They count as one of the four offensive backfield members, if you will. So that's that's the fundamental difference. One plays on the line of scrimmage. The other is more of a wing that uh, lines up set back from the line of scrimmage. I think Reggie Gilliam does all of those things. You know, I think Reggie can play tight end, he can play H-back, and he can play fullback. And just like Dawson Knox, he can play tight end and slot receiver, but we don't call him a slot receiver, we call him a tight end. And so they'll fill different roles on different plays that will give them a different position. And um, however you want to designate it or classify it, is fine because I think Reggie's going to play plenty of H. He'll play plenty of fullback and he'll play plenty of tight end. So good question. It's just the simple difference is that one is not a line of scrimmage player. One is. The next one comes from Kyle who says, a quick and easy one for you, over under eight and a half players with three or more sacks for the Bills this season. Last season there were six, Klein, Addison, Hughes, Milano, Oliver, and Jefferson with three more at two in Poyer, Murphy, and Edmonds. The D-line didn't quite live up to expectations last year, but has passed the eye test so far this preseason, so hopefully they'll exceed expectations this year. So I think in the three-plus sack category, I think you can very confidently put Hughes, Addison, Rousseau, Obata, Oliver, Epinesa, and Milano. That is seven players. So for the over to hit, I need two more. I need two more to get to nine and for the over to hit on your eight and a half mark. And so 
I'm going to go with the under on this because I think that the Bills will blitz less this year, which will lead to less random sacks from DBs and other linebackers. So maybe they get to eight, but to get to nine, I need two more with three plus, and I have a hard time identifying that course because I think the Bills are going to trust their pass rush to get there more organically. And so that doesn't mean I don't think the Bills will have more sacks or they won't be a better pass rush team. I just think it's going to happen differently, and those sacks will be more highly concentrated among the defensive linemen. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. Tomorrow we get into the weeds with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to break them down from every single angle, talk about what they have, what the challenges they present, what the Bills need to do to handle those challenges, and it's one of my favorite things that we do during the game weeks. And so it'll be the comprehensive primer. If it's your first time joining the podcast during a season, welcome. We're glad you're here. And I think you're going to really enjoy a nerdy football discussion that'll get you ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Hope you have an awesome day. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.